Well, we are in Genesis chapter 41 tonight. We'll be covering the whole chapter. And how do you respond when it seems like your dream is coming to pass? You know you're here on this earth for more than you've realized so far. But now it seems to be changing. Do you stop being who you are and become what you think you need to be? There's many people who do that. Once they begin to enter into the dream, once they enter into the becoming what they think they were here for, often they change. They stop being who they were and they become who they think they need to be. Joseph, though, he is not one of those. He is one who's going to continue to be who he was because being who he is is not what has kept him from being who he was called to be. He was prepared for a moment, and that moment had not come yet. But now we see that it is. Again, the four levels of understanding, keep this in mind. The flesh, or the reasoning level of understanding. Wisdom, the revelation level of understanding. This comes into play all through the life of Joseph. We're also going to see the, the principle from Sundays, God's favor and grace draw the promises and the blessings to you, but honor is what reels them in. What would have happened to Joseph and the blessing, the calling that God had for him if he did not walk at such a high level of honor? In verse 1, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Now, two full years, that is after the cupbearer got the dream, Joseph interpreted for him, and he was uh, restored back to his position, but forgot Joseph. Two years it has been, and Joseph is still in the prison. Joseph has probably continued to go on, done good for other people. Maybe he's seen some of those people come and go into prison, but no one has decided to help Joseph out. Suddenly, as Pharaoh was dreaming, suddenly there came out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows in the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. Now, that might wake you up, too, because cows don't generally eat cows. They generally eat grass. So they're doing something very unusual here. And maybe that's almost a nightmare, but can you imagine a cow eating another cow and dreaming about it and seeing this in your dream and seeing it all the way through? Not just that it happened, but you're seeing that cow eat the other cow and until it's done. And when he says they got done, uh, the, the other cows were gone and the seven uh, ugly cows were still there. So Pharaoh awoke, he slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blight by the east wind, sprang up after them, and the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. And now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but... There was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Now, we probably heard about the magicians and, and wise men uh, again later on in the Word of God, but they come all the way back here into the time of Egypt, and they were expected when they came in to be able to interpret dreams. But these 
these particular dreams they could not interpret. Now, of course, in Babylon, we know under Daniel, uh, he was not even willing to give them the dream because he wanted to make sure that they could prove that they had the authority or wherewithal to interpret it. But Pharaoh is not that way. He told them the dream, but they couldn't figure out what it meant. Now, the first dream woke him up. Of course, it was kind of a terrible dream and might wake you and I up too. He remembered it and went back to sleep afterwards and then had another dream. And in the morning, he was troubled about these dreams. Knew that there was something more about them, but he couldn't figure out what it was. Now, we know that this dream points out that a famine is on its way. God saw that this famine was coming as much as 17 years earlier and started to put Joseph in a position to do something about it. So Joseph is born. He's got a purpose. So you can actually even say that 30 years before this happened, God knew that he needed Joseph in place. And however man was going to put him, whether man put him in as a slave, man put him in as a prisoner, or man put him someplace else, God was going to get him and bring him out and put him in into the spot that he needed. So some 30 years at least, 17 years we know, that um, God saw this coming upon the earth. So does the famine come? Or what is the reason, I should say, for the famine coming? Now, if God can make preparations for such an event as this famine coming, what kind of preparations can He make for what's coming in your life? And has God already told you some things to get ready for? Now, God saw Israel as being in a foreign land way back in the days of Abraham. And I'm just going to read this to you. I didn't write this in your outline, but it's Genesis 15, verses 13 through 16. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years, and also the nation whom they serve. I will judge afterward. They shall come out with a great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation... They shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, if you look at the generations from the days of Abraham until these particular days, you're going to see that there's four generations. Moses is of, do you remember what house he's of? Moses is the house of Levi, and he is the fourth generation from Levi. Caleb, you remember Caleb? Caleb's of what house? He's of the house of Judah. If you go back through the genealogies, you will find that Caleb is the fourth generation from Judah. This is four generations. So if you ever heard people say, summarize, sometimes I throw this out at you too, that a generation in the Word of God is anywhere from 40 to 100 years, this is one of the places where you'll see it being 100 years. Four generations, 400 years. Sometimes you'll see a generation be 40 years. Of course, with Moses wandering in the wilderness, we saw a generation was 40 years there. But it can be up as much as 100 years, and here's an example of where it is 100 years. So he said, In the fourth generation that shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, there were more than Amorites in the land of Canaan, but it may be that it's because Abraham at the time was dwelling among the Amorites that they are specifically mentioned. It may be they are the most dominant of the people of the land of Canaan. Whatever the reason, the Amorites represent all of the, the people in the land of Canaan. 
but their iniquity had not yet been complete. God knows it's going to be complete, but it's not quite there yet. So until it gets there, he doesn't, um, he's, he's not going to execute this judgment upon the land of Canaan. And so Israel won't be able to move in. So what to do with Israel in the meantime? So we have this famine coming away, coming along. Is the famine, God called for this famine. He knew this famine was, was going on, but God doesn't seem to, famines come, maybe if they're of God, there's, it's a judgment. Is God judging the earth? Is this famine that is coming a judgment upon the earth? Is it a way to move Israel? Is this just a way for God to get Israel out of the land of Canaan? Does Israel need to be out of the land of Canaan for the sins of the Canaanites to become full? Is it possible that the Israelites being in Canaan is, is too much of a good influence and will keep Canaan on the, on the wrong side of having their sins become full? I, I don't know. I'm just throwing out different reasons here for you. God never, tell, never specifically says what the reasons for them are. So is it a way to move Israel? Is it a judgment on the world? Is it destruction from the enemy? Is the famine simply something that the enemy sends to destroy people and hopefully his goal is to destroy Abraham and his descendants and then God sends the year of plenty to, to stop it? Or is this just something that happens? So there's a lot of reasons why this can come about. Joseph is going to see this as the hand of God, but of course that's the Jewish way of looking at things. If God does not prevent something, then God brought it about. Of course, they're not Jews right now. They're called Hebrews. But that's uh, still their mentality. So the dream comes to Pharaoh for the same reason it comes to Nebuchadnezzar. God gives the dream to the person in the position to do something about it and the interpretation to his spokesman to give the glory to God. If this dream came to to uh, Jacob, if it came to Israel, what good would he be able to do? He's not in a position to uh, to... To do this, if the plenty that was there to supply the world had come to Jacob, what would the world do? Well, they would rise up and say, Jacob, you got all the food. We're going to come take all the food from you. And they would do so. Uh, and God would have to do supernatural defense against them, against the world. But see, Egypt is the world power. So no one can really rise up and come against Egypt. Egypt by themselves, they are the world dominant power at this time. So you have to have a more dominant force to come against Egypt and to to take all the food. So the food being in Egypt at this time is fairly safe just because they have a, a substantial army and are able to keep any attackers at bay. Now his goal here is to make this group of people into a nation. And so many have supposed that what he's doing is he puts them inside the land of Goshen in the land of Egypt to give them protection to bring them into a a nation. And of course they grew to somewhere estimates of two to four million people at the time. And that's a, a good group to be coming out of Egypt. That's basically a nation right there. But the dream comes to Pharaoh because he's in a position to do something about it. But his interpretation, God's interpretation of this will be given to his spokesman because his spokesman will bring the glory to God. In verse 9, Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. Everybody knows who the captain of the guard is? 
That is Potiphar. He put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. This is the second time we've seen that the prison was in the house of Potiphar. We each had a dream in one night. He and I, each of us, dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. Not a servant to the keeper of the prison. He's a servant to the captain of the guard. So they realized that Potiphar, or Joseph answered to Potiphar, and he was just not a normal prisoner in there. And so he's letting him know, because Pharaoh knows the captain of the guard, because it's the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. So he's he's telling him who he is, what his position is, and it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened, he restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Now, if you ever wonder, why does God give the interpretation in a dream to someone who's only going to be around for three more days because this added validity to Joseph being able to interpret dreams. Not only was he right in this one, he was right in the one that the execution was brought to and the guy who would be uh, restored would be remembering both of these occurrences and of course he does. When he gets before Pharaoh, he does this. Now why does he remember him now? It may be that the chief butler remembers because either he had forgotten Joseph and is reminded because of the dream, or he now sees a safe opportunity to help Joseph. <laughs> Pharaoh needs something. If I tell him about this now, tell him about Joseph, he needs Joseph to come on in here and help him. He won't go back over all the stuff that had gone on before and get mad at me again, put me in prison, or remember why he was thinking about killing me. <laughs> so he might think it, it's a safe time. And plus, he can come to Pharaoh's aid. If you're the one who brings the guy in, who brings the answer, uh, I think you just elevated yourself in, in Pharaoh's eyes. And so he's, he's looking for all that to come about. Verse 14, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. Now notice this. Joseph has been in preparation for this particular day. He doesn't know it. But he's been in preparation for this particular day for somewhere around 17 years. He has prepared. He has done everything that he can. He doesn't even know anything more to do. But every day he keeps doing the same thing. Keeps organizing. Keeps administrating. Keeps seeking after his God. Keeps his character up. Keeps walking in honor. Does all these things every single day. Even though for all these years it doesn't seem to be getting them anywhere. He doesn't know that this is the day it's going to change. We don't always know when the day is that it's going to change. But we keep doing the things that God wants us to do. The disciples didn't know what day Jesus was going to come and say, Hey, I want you to be one of my twelve. But they were ready. They followed Jesus. They stayed with him until Jesus came for that night of prayer. And he says, All right, I need twelve of you. And he, he called the twelve that were, that were there. Timothy didn't know that he would be selected by Paul. Silas didn't know that he was going to be sticking around. He was going to be made ready. All the preparation that he had done in his life, that all of a sudden an opportunity was going to open up on Paul's team. But it did. We don't always know the day that this thing happens for us, but you always are being ready. And so he was ready. But notice that though he was ready, he was not dressed appropriately. And he needed to get dressed appropriately. See, there's one kind of attire that's okay for being in prison. And it's not okay for being in the presence of Pharaoh. 
So he had to get dressed up for the presence of Pharaoh. So he had to change his clothes, get out of the prison's clothes. They probably found some other clothes that were there that they could put him into, something that make him look better. He had to shave. Well, you don't always get to shave in prison, but you're going to go before Pharaoh. We got to get rid of that beard. We got to make you look a little more presentable. So he had to go through all that. All this took some time. But Pharaoh, he's in a, he's in a hurry. He wants to get this thing going. And here we are. We got to do all this preparation for Joseph. Now, it's not Joseph's fault. These are not things he could do at the time. He did everything that he could do. These things were out of his control because he was in prison. But there were people around who could bring this about. Some people, you go out and you get him some clothes. You go out, you get him a razor. Maybe they even had some people to, to do it. And Joseph probably hasn't shaved in a while. And, um, hey, we got some people that have uh, just done that. Maybe you, know, you go to the barbershop, you can get guys that can go to the barbershop, you can get shaved. I have never done it. I've seen it done. Uh, but I've never done it. Uh, it's, I have absolutely no desire to go in there, sit down in a chair and wait all that time while they take that single, they just take a single uh, edge shaver and they just start carving you up. And uh, I've heard people talk about it who got it done. They said, oh, man, there's nothing like it. But um, I'm just completely happy with my electric shaver experience i've been shaving with electric for so many so many years out of decades i think it is and i've never gone back to a blade don't ever ever want to but this is uh what they would have to do because you know they didn't have a an electric razor to uh take care of this with so they got to take the razor they got to start shaving all that stuff off and fixing him up probably had to get a haircut probably had to get cleaned up get a shower Get everything all done. You're going before Pharaoh. And sometimes we think we're going before God. How do we, uh, what's our appearance before going before God? So we had to get him fixed up. So we took some time off. Pharaoh's in a hurry. He wants to, to see, he wants to hear about this. It's in his spirit. It's, it's agitated him. And, uh, go get, go get the guy. And he's probably waiting. Isn't he ready yet? Uh, well, we're still, still getting some things, uh, taken care of. You know, he was, he was in prison. He didn't look all that good. We gotta, we gotta dress him up a little bit. But eventually he gets there. Verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. You see, he's asked people. He said the dream to people. No one could interpret it. But I've heard it said that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh and saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Boy, that sounds like somebody else's answer, doesn't it? <laughs> Verse 17, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Now, when he tells it this time, he's going to give you more detail. The reason for that is simply, in the first part of the story, we're just telling you the dream. This is just the, this is the highlights of the dream. But see, now we're before Joseph. So instead of just retelling exactly the way it was before, now we're going to give you the details that were left out. But just know for a fact that when Pharaoh told this to the other people, he told them the same, the same details that he's telling Joseph now. The dream didn't change. It's just as you're writing the story, we're, we just gave you the highlights here first. Now we're going to get you into some more details. So some details will come out here that were not in the first part. Behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly, seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly, and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. So that's a detail we didn't know before. 
These were the ugliest cows he has ever... He's never seen cows this ugly before. These were by far the most ugly of all cows that he has ever seen. I mean, sometimes you can go out there and you've ever seen somebody walking a dog and you say, that is got to be the ugliest dog I have ever seen. I have never seen a dog that ugly before. That is certainly the most ugly dog. And we, we've seen that until, you know, sometime down the road you might see the uh, an even uglier dog. Um, I've seen some ugly cats too. Just ugly, or just like how in the, why would anybody want a cat like that? That is an ugly cat. Sometimes they're just mean cats, whatever it might be, but he is seeing just an ugly cow. I mean, they are so ugly. It, he has to emphasize this in a dream. They are really ugly. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven and fat cows. And when they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. So they ate the entire cow. This, this thin little cow eats this big fat cow and doesn't change. You would think that if all that cow got into the little cow, that that little cow would have to grow. But that little cow did not grow. He just stayed exactly the same. And this was remarkable to Pharaoh as he's watching this dream. And so he relates this. Jo- Pharaoh does not, I'm sorry, Joseph does not have this dream. It's not like Daniel who had to have the dream given to him so he could see all the details. Joseph does not have this dream. God did not give him the dream. He is only told what Pharaoh saw. So Pharaoh is describing the dream to him. And he said, that was the end of the dream. I woke up. Also I saw in my dream and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered, thin and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Now we got a lot more detail on that first one than we did in the second one. That first one probably rocked him a little bit more than the second one did. But still we had the two dreams. And so Pharaoh relates these things. He had related just the, exactly the same way to the magicians, to the wise men, and no one could come up with an answer. So it isn't like when we hear Joseph, Joseph's explanation that, well, of course anybody could have come up with that. No, we presented it to all the people and all the wisdom that was there at Pharaoh's disposal. No one could come up with even a makeshift uh, ex- explanation of this. No one could figure it out. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, let me go away and pray about this and see if I can come up with... He doesn't do that, does he? He tells him right away. The dreams of Pharaoh are one. Hmm. No one else figured that out. But he does it immediately, instantly. He did not have this dream. As far as we can tell, God did not give him the dream ahead of time. Or give him any of the interpretation ahead of time. This is the first that Joseph is hearing it. And when he hears it, he says, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. Now before, when we had the the dreams in the previous chapter, days were represented. What makes this different for Joseph that he now says this is years? We don't know. Nothing is pointed out into this. Maybe it's just because it has to do with food. And food has a uh, generally a, a year cycle. 
you've got the planting, you've got the harvest, and then you have the winter come in and nothing comes in until the next spring. You start planting stuff again. So he may just see that year because we're dealing with things that are growing. We don't know. But he knows immediately that this is about years and that the two dreams are one. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Now again, in his mind, as he sees this, this is God doing it. It may be God, it may not be God, but that's how Joseph views it. That's how he, the Hebrews view things. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine will, be, will deplete the land. Now, here's something we don't know. Is the years of plenty worldwide? All we know from this that he's doing is that this plenty is in Egypt. But we know that the famine is worldwide. Is it also possible that the plenty is, is worldwide? And it may be, but Pharaoh can't do anything about the rest of the world. All he can do is Egypt. And Joseph is telling Pharaoh, who has control over Egypt, about Egypt, not about the rest of the world. We know the famine is worldwide. We know that it it affects the land of Canaan and that it also affects the house of Abraham because that's why the brothers are sent. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh Let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land of the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. Now, the dream that Pharaoh has is not about what to do. The dream is only about what is coming. Very often, dreams that come from God are about what is coming, not about what to do. When we see the dream that the other Joseph in the New Testament has, not only is he told what is coming, but he is told what to do. Flee to Egypt. People are coming for the child. They want to kill him. Flee to Egypt. And another dream, the ones that are seeking the life of the child are gone. It's okay to return. So he was told what was coming and what to do. But not always do the dreams from God tell you what to do. They just tell you what is coming. But here, Joseph tells him what to do. Now, how does Joseph know what to do? How does he know what to counsel him as to what to do? I mean, he comes up with numbers. He doesn't just come up with, uh, well, it might be a good idea if you do this. No, he comes up with numbers. Look, you need to take 20% of everything that's coming in in the seven good years and you need to put it away. You need to store it away. How does he come up with 20%? 
See, this is all his preparation before. He ran his father's house. He ran Potiphar's house. He ran the prison. He knows how to deal with abundance and he knows how to deal with when things aren't all that great. And so he, he knows in his own mind this is what we got to do. And 20% will cut it. Now he may be given some spiritual wisdom in that too, but I think more than likely we're seeing that he's relying on some of his experience and some of the things that God has brought him through and the things that God has taught him. Now notice what he, Joseph does not do. If you were a prison who was put in prison for the wrong reason, and when the the um, cupbearer was brought before you, and you know he's going to be restored, and you say, remember me to Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh about my case because I'm here wrongly, and now you are before Pharaoh. This is the guy you wanted to hear your case. You knew you had to go above Potiphar's head in order to get anything done. You are now there. You are in Pharaoh's presence. What are the first words out of your mouth? Look, I'll interpret your dream as long as you hear my case. I mean, wouldn't we be thinking that along those lines? Joseph doesn't do it. Why is it that two years ago, Joseph is saying, remember me before Pharaoh. He's now in front of Pharaoh. He doesn't need anybody to remember him. He can tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I'm going to tell you what your interpretation is, but I need you to hear my case first. He doesn't do that. He goes right into, this is what your dream means. Now he's lost all leverage. He has no bargaining chips. He's already told him everything that he has to tell him. And um, he still doesn't plead his case. He just says, this is what you need to do. You need to get yourselves ready for it. You need to start storing some things up. Because God is saying, he gave you this dream twice because this thing is coming about quickly. If this thing is coming about quickly, why doesn't God bring him out of the prison before this? Why doesn't God have the uh, situations come on that bring Joseph out of the prison before this whole thing? Well, apparently God wanted there to be some urgency on this thing. It's going on now. We need somebody now. If, James, if, if he came on out here and said, look, in five years, this is what's going to happen then he might think he has five years to prep for it. But because he knows the dream came twice and Joseph tells him what the reasoning for the dream coming twice is, because it's urgent. It's coming up now. you got to get ready now. So he's ready to make a decision. And Joseph is there before him. Now he, Joseph announces first that the two dreams have one meaning. When we were in the previous chapter, we had two dreams, but they had two different meanings. They were very similar dreams, but they had two different meanings. These are very similar dreams, but they have the same meaning. Joseph knows that. He shows the consistencies between the, the different dreams. How each one is the, how it's the same. And the interpretation of the dreams comes from God, but the course of action is apart from the dream. There is no course of action in this dream. Joseph adds the course of action on his own. He takes it from his wisdom. He takes it from the things that God has shown him throughout the years. Or maybe God gives him some wisdom on the spot. Whatever it might be, he, he adds this to it. It is not in the dream. Pharaoh knows it is not in the dream. This dream is only a warning of what is coming. This dream does not tell you a thing about what to do. So Pharaoh knows it is Joseph that is telling me what to do. 
and how we should get ready. Nobody else in my kingdom could tell me anything about this. Only him. In this particular dream, nowhere is there a spiritual application. Nowhere in this dream is there a spiritual application. Not all dreams have one. Some dreams just have a natural application. They don't have a spiritual application. If you listen to people who, who have dreams today, most people think any dream I have has a spiritual application. Somehow this is talking about my spiritual life. Somehow this is talking about what God is doing spiritually. But you will have a lot of cases in the Word of God where there is a dream and there is no spiritual application. It is 100% natural. When Joseph is warned about the people coming after Jesus, that is a natural thing. It's not a spiritual thing. It's a natural thing. This is what they're doing in the natural. They're trying to kill the babies. They're trying to kill Jesus. So they're going to kill all kinds of babies here. You need to get Jesus out. And so it's just a natural thing. A dream can be from God and have nothing but natural meaning to it. Don't try and make something spiritual that's not spiritual. It may be. Daniel's dream had a spiritual application, but not all dreams have them. Verse 37, So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. Can you imagine that? All the servants agree. That's kind of like saying, Advice was given, if it was in our day, and the president liked it, and all Congress liked it. Can you imagine all Congress getting behind any kind of advice that was given? I can't imagine that at all. Well, don't think that there aren't political parties here in Egypt. There are some people who view things this way, and other people who view things this way, but they all agreed. This was good. Pharaoh says, do you think that's a good advice? I think that's great advice. Do you guys think that's I think that's great advice. I bet you Pharaoh is shaking his head. I've never seen everybody agree before. But they all agree. See, if you want to set yourself apart, you need to disagree and say, I think we ought to do it a different way. Set yourself apart. Show yourself something different. But not here. Everybody agreed. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? He's asking them. Guys, you think we can find anybody like this in the spirit of God as them? Well, they worship all kinds of gods. They worship the sun god. They worship the cats. They worship the uh, light. They worship the Nile. How many gods they got there in, in uh, Egypt? They got all kinds of gods. But Joseph apparently has the God who can answer dreams. So, um, yeah, he's a little bit different. I don't. We don't know, have anybody like this in our kingdom. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. Boy, how many of you like to hear that from a head of the head of the country? Head of the country said, No one is discerning and wise as you. If somebody says that to you and you're in Joseph's situation, how many of you are thinking, Good, then let me out of prison. And you see, you would have settled for something far below what God had for you. Maybe you would have gotten it. Maybe he would have stopped and said, okay, but uh, apparently you're not as wise as I thought. Because I was about ready to do more. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Wow. 
from the prison to ruling over the land. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. So who's the second in the kingdom? Joseph. Who was the second in the prison? Joseph. Who was the second highest in Potiphar's house? Joseph. Who was the second highest in Israel's house? Joseph. Joseph is always rising to the second highest. Notice he doesn't rise to the highest. He always rises to the second highest. That's because his father was still alive. If his father had died, I don't know what would have happened there. Of course, the brothers would have probably put one of them in, in charge or you know, birth order probably would have come into play, whatever it might be. But in all these situations, here he is, second highest again. He's very familiar with being in the second highest position. He knows how to operate in this. I operate under Potiphar. I operate under my father. I operated that way under the prison. I know how to do this. So he sets him over the land. In verse 41, Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. This was on Pharaoh's. He just took some of his authority that was in Pharaoh's hand and he put it on Joseph's. They would take that signet ring and they would mark certain things and this, this says, this puts Pharaoh's stamp of approval on it. So he's basically giving him his signature. You can say whatever you want to do. You can put my signet ring on it and it's done as if I did it myself. Whew. Ah, this is, this is quite the uh, promotion here. I'm not just making you over the years of, of uh, surplus. I'm not just making you over the food supply. I am making you over all the land of Egypt. Why does he do this? Why not just make him over the food supply? Why not just put him in charge of of collecting all the food and putting it away. Because he probably foresees that there's going to be some problems. Some people are probably going to stand in the way. And if I don't give him full authority, he won't be able to pull this off. So Pharaoh gives him full authority. <clears throat> now one of the things we never see Joseph dip into, ever, in all the, all the covering that we've had, we have never seen Joseph take on one aspect of things that I do not believe Pharaoh puts in his hands. And that is warfare. We never see Joseph go to battle. We never see him carry a, a sword or a spear. And Pharaoh, all the Pharaohs would lead the nation in battle. So guess who's going to be leading the nation in battle? Pharaoh, not Joseph. Joseph gets to stay back at home, take care of all this stuff. Pharaoh will be going, the one going into battle. He's the warrior. He probably looks at Joseph and says, all right, well, you're not a warrior. You're more like an accountant. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and he clothed him in the garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. So we took the clothes that he had on, which were already aren't his anyway. They were 
I know they were they were better clothes, and he said they're not good enough for you. You need better clothes. And so he gives him better clothes, gives him chains around his neck, and he had him ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried out before him, bow the knee. So Pharaoh is in the first chariot, Joseph is in the second chariot. It's kind of like uh, Pharaoh is in Air Force One, Joseph is in Air Force Two. <laughs> the equivalent of that. This is the he's got the Pharaoh's chariot. This is how he gets around. It's probably not the one he drives in the war. This is the one he drives for dress. You know, you got a dress chariot and you got a war chariot. You don't want the dress chariot getting all banged up from the war. So you take the war chariot out for war and you bring the dress chariot out when you want to look good in front of the people. And so he's got the dress chariot, but he's got another dress chariot and he puts Joseph in it. Because he's demonstrating to the people, see this guy? He is now number two. He is behind me. I know who he is. I know where he came from. And I have commissioned him to do what he's going to do. So he drives through all the all the place so that everyone sees this guy has got my stamp of approval. Whatever he says, you better do it or I'm coming to get you. Imagine Joseph waking up on just a normal day. This is just a day like any other day and all of a sudden everything changed. People are bowing their knee. So he set him over the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. <laughs> wow. No one does nothing, Joseph, without you knowing it. He gave him the ability to micromanage the country. I'm not going to do it, but you can, you can manage to your heart's content. If you don't want people to do a thing, then you don't let them do it. If you want them to do something, then you tell them to do it. So that means he can come over to your house during the seven years of plenty and say, you see that field back over there? I need you to sow it. Or we don't have the manpower. Find it. I need you to sow it. I need, we need the stuff coming in from there. We got some stuff. We got some famine coming in and we need everything going. Get that field going. Well, we worked really hard the last couple of years. We're trying to back off a little bit this year. I don't care. I want you to sow it. I want you to get that field going. Got some areas over here. I want you to clear this stuff out. I want you to, he, if he wanted to, he'd go through and do all this. I don't know if he did or not. But he has that ability right now to go through Egypt and to tell people, this is what you will do. And he's a foreigner. And they all know he's a foreigner. You got a foreigner coming on in telling you what to do. How to run your, your fields. How to get your, yourself going. Cause he wants to get as much as he can get out of these seven years of, of, uh, uh, plenty. We're gonna get all that we can. And Pharaoh called Joseph's names. We, we gotta Egyptianize them. So we can't have him having a Hebrew name. We gotta have him having an Egyptian name. So he gives him a good Egyptian name. Zaphnath Paneah and he gave him as wife Asenath the daughter of Potipharah boy that sounds awful close doesn't it <laughs> priest of An I'm pretty, pretty sure this is not anything close to Potiphar because uh, he was not a priest that was not his role so Joseph went over 
went out over all the land of Egypt. And so he would go out. He would let people see him. He would make decrees. Now he's given an Egyptian wife. This is not forbidden by the word. Canaanite women were forbidden. But not the other ones. So he could have an Egyptian wife. Deuteronomy, if you want to write this down, Deuteronomy 21, 10-13 describes God's desire in taking a foreign woman in marriage. Now, he didn't have that to read, but God could certainly have told him what to do and how to go about it, and Joseph probably would have done it anyway. So once again, everything in the house is Joseph's. Now, if you are Potiphar's wife, how are you feeling about now? You're seeing the guy that you falsely accused being paraded through the streets with Pharaoh in a chariot with his signet ring on his finger. And anything he says goes. You think she's wondering, I wonder if he remembers. Oh yeah, he remembers. Oh yeah, he remembers. Now I'm, I began to just kind of meditate on this a little bit. I am pretty sure that Potiphar does not believe his wife because of the way that things have transpired since here. Potiphar doesn't believe his wife. He believes Joseph. But because trying to keep peace in the house has to go along with certain things. Can you imagine the day this happens and Joseph is brought before Pharaoh and he gives this interpretation and Joseph, beyond Potiphar's ability to stop this, is elevated to second highest in the land. This is over Potiphar. Can you imagine him coming home and discussing this with his wife. When I picture this, I see Potiphar having a big smile on his face. <laughs> Honey, I got some news. Guess what happened today at the office? Do you remember that guy, Joseph? Yeah. Uh, well, he just interpreted a dream for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was so taken with it, he made him second highest official in the land. He runs the country. He runs everything. Whatever he says goes. Isn't that fantastic? I wonder what kind of things he's going to decree here in the next couple of days. <laughs> Boy, I could just see Potiphar having a time with this one. Getting his wife all nervous. I don't think Joseph is going to come on over there and be vengeful. But she don't know that. <laughs> I made this note. People with bad or no character will afflict those who have no power, who have no power, thinking they will never come to any. People with bad or no character, like this wife, will afflict those who have no power, thinking they will never come to any. See, she saw Joseph as having no power over her, and she never thought he would come to any. So she can do whatever she wants. Now, all of a sudden, I wonder if he met with Potiphar. Potiphar, do you want me to do anything with that wife of yours? She is an evil woman. I'll tell you what, it wouldn't bother me none if you put her in jail. wouldn't bother me at all. <laughs> I don't know if that would have gone on. I could see Potiphar having that kind of conversation. But um don't know what would happen. But if you're Potiphar's wife, are you a little nervous? 
Joseph's best day is now your worst. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, verse 46, king of Egypt. Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting it for it was immeasurable. Now Joseph has called this from the dream. This is what's going to happen. And it happens. Just as Joseph said. Every year this happens. Joseph's credibility is growing. Instantly he has credibility. But he has come out and he said there's going to be seven years of great abundance. Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard stuff like that before. After the first year of great abundance, people are saying, wow, he was right. That's amazing. Surely it's not going to happen again. And Joseph was calling for a second year. And it happened again. And then a third year. And then a fourth year. And then a fifth year. We've never seen abundance like this all these years in a row. Sixth year, seventh year. Great abundance. I mean, stuff coming in. And he keeps, he keeps showing up. He sends his people out there. You got your 20%? We want our 20%. Joseph has so much, they can't even count it. They stop counting. They've got so much. Can you imagine that? All the resources of Egypt, and you can't count how much grain you've got. What do we got to do, Joseph? We got to build some more barns. We got to build some more vats. We got to build some more stuff to, to hold all this these grain in. Don't you think we have enough? No. No, I told you 20%. Every year, first year, second year, third year, fourth year, fifth year, sixth year, seventh year, we need every bit of it. Because remember those cows, those lean ones that came on up? You couldn't even tell they ate the fat ones. These, these years of famine are going to be great. We've got to be ready. Okay, Joseph, as long as you're absolutely sure. Then Pharaoh had the dream. He's got no problem trusting Joseph. It's not bothering him none. He's not giving up 20% of nothing. He's not out there doing the fields. It's the people. But after a while, don't you think these people are getting a little tired of this Hebrew coming in and telling them they got to give up 20%? What are they getting for their 20%? Nothing. He's just showing up. I want 20% of all that you got. I mean, the first year, boy, we had so much come on in. It's a... we. 20%. We still got more than we had before. But then the second year, I mean, people are greedy. We want to keep some of this for ourselves. Joseph, you can't even store all that you got. Let us keep it. Nope. Nope. It comes to us. We get it. All seven years. Till they stop counting. Joseph, how much you got? I have no idea. Don't you think you have enough? Nope. But you can't even count all that you have. It don't matter. Now, note this. Joseph is not a spiritual giant. He's not an Abraham. He's not a Moses. He's not a Daniel. He's not an Ezekiel. He's not an Elijah. 
He's not a spiritual giant. There's nothing spiritual about the man that we can tell. He is just extremely moral, sold out to God, and very diligent in everything that he does. You look at Joseph with Daniel. Daniel would spend hours studying, praying, seeking after God. Do we hear that about Joseph? Have we heard a single time that Joseph is out there studying anything? Of course, he doesn't have a whole lot of scriptures to study right now, does he? But we don't have that that Joseph is out there spending hours in prayer. We don't have that Joseph is before the presence of God or that Joseph is getting dreams and visions. As far as we know, he had the two dreams. He's not a spiritual giant. And yet he is being used by God So he's not a spiritual giant. Joseph is an administrator. He's an administrator. Now Joseph goes from the prison to the palace. Compare that with Moses. Moses went from the palace to the fields. He's almost in prison, but they didn't catch him. Moses goes from a high position to a low position. Joseph goes from a low position to a high position. Moses began in Egypt and ended up on the border of Canaan. Joseph began in Canaan and ended up in Egypt. But both cared for their nation, the nation of Israel. Verse 50, And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came. So in the seven years that Joseph was was doing this preparation. He got married and he had two two sons. May have had some daughters in there too, but we have we we know he had two sons. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim or Ephraim, depending upon whom you heard pronounce it. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended and the seven years of famine began to come as Joseph had said. The famine was in all the lands but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So Joseph says that's the last year of plenty. Next year is a year of famine. Yeah, right Joseph. This year of plenty has been going on and going on and going on just because you call for it doesn't mean it's going to be there. And then all of a sudden it was famine. Nothing was growing. Nothing was happening. Wow. This was, this is something. This is so different from us. You know, we've had people that are calling for disasters. After disaster, in 10 years, it's all gonna, it's all gonna go away. 12 years. Oceans are gonna rise. Ice is gonna melt. All this sort of stuff is, is gonna happen. And it doesn't happen. The 60s, we had 25 years till the oceans died. Well, that would have been 85. We passed that. The 70s, I think that was the uh, uh, first calling for the Ice Age, global cooling. And, well, that didn't happen. And then they switched from there and went to global warming. And then it went back to global cooling. And then it went back to, let's just call it climate change. And they keep uh, putting years on it. You know, Al Gore was out there in, in um, I don't know, what, what, what did he say, 10 years, 15 years, whatever it was. He gave a prediction for it. And um, I remember Rush Limbaugh, he got tired of hearing all these people give predictions and no one held him accountable. So from the time that Al Gore made that prediction, 
uh, Rush Limbaugh took on his website and he put a little counter off there on the side to count down the number of years that Al Gore said we were all going to be you know, in trouble and dying and whatever it would be. And it would count down. And if it was 20 years, he had a 20-year countdown on the thing. And it counted down to zero. Nothing happened. Nothing changed. But you see, they just bypass all that and they just go on and they predict the next one and try and get people to, to go along with it. But Joseph, he said seven years of plenty and there were seven years of plenty. And then he said, now the famine begins. And it did. And he said, it's going to go on for seven years. And the seven years of famine began to come as Joseph had said. And the famine was in all lands. It's all over the world. Now the famine was on all lands. It would seem that the abundance was in all lands. But who made preparation? Joseph. But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says, do you do it? The famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph, to Egypt, to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. Now Joseph, it says he... How did he distribute the food? He said he sold it. Did he buy it? No. He took it. And now he's going to sell it. I mean, that's a great business. And if you... We're jumping ahead here a little bit, but you'll find out that he sold it until the Egyptians had no more money. And they said, what are we going to do? We're going to die. And I said, that's all right. What else you got? Well, we got our lands. All right, you give me your lands. I'll give you some more food. And by the time Joseph was done, Pharaoh controlled everything. He had all the buildings. He had all the land. He had all the money. So Joseph, once again, brought great prosperity to whatever house he was in. And he does it here. What's Pharaoh thinking? Can you imagine, as the famine is going on, and Potiphar comes into the house of Joseph, and they're talking. Potiphar, I'm just, I'm getting so rich. I don't know what to do with all the money. And Potiphar says, yeah, I know that Joseph, he just makes things go. When he was in my house and he had control over everything, I mean, everything increased. I was getting richer and richer until that wife of mine did that. And then I had to do something about it, but I, I probably would have been the richest guy in the, in the whole country if we just kept going with Joseph in there. Yeah, well, I got him now. And he's making me rich. I don't know what he's going to do next year, but whatever it is, I'm going to get richer. And I don't got to do much. He's doing all the work. This is great. <laughs> so, Joseph is just, he's being liked more and more by Pharaoh. He's just doing more and more good things for, for Pharaoh. But the people are probably upset because they're losing all their stuff. But, they're fed. If it wasn't for Joseph looking out for this, for this whole, they, they all would be dead. They know it. If Joseph had not made these preparations, we all would be dead. Now, does Joseph understand his own dreams at this point? 
Remember, he's got two dreams. He didn't understand what the dreams meant. Neither did his family. They all put on that same explanation that other people did. That even people today still throw on it. Does he understand his own dreams now? Did this opportunity help him? Or did these, did he learn from these dreams something that helped him to understand his own dreams better? Or did understanding his own dream help him understand Pharaoh's dreams better? Because again, he had two dreams. The cupbearer had two dreams. The cupbearer and the baker, they had two dreams. And Joseph, uh, well, Joseph was called in because Pharaoh had two dreams. Two dreams seems to follow him. God is trying to get him to get a message. Understanding the two dreams. He will get the message. And he will show us what it is that these dreams were to help him with. Now, if you, if you had the dreams that Joseph had, what would you be thinking now? If you don't understand fully what it is, but you know that in the dream, the brothers were going to come and bow down to you, what are you thinking right now? Hmm. I'm a ruler. There's lots of people that are coming down to bow down to me. If my brothers show up, they're coming down to bow down to me too. And we'll see more about that as we, we get through here in the story. But do know this, God doesn't just need prophets, priests, preachers, deliverers to do great things for His kingdom. Joseph is an administrator. Nothing spiritual about him, nothing spiritual giant about him. He is just really good at doing what God says to do. And he is an administrator. He's been in preparation for a long time. Don't be upset if preparation takes you a long time. Jesus had 30 years of preparation for how many years of ministry? Three and a half. Joseph had 30 years to prepare him for what? Seems to be 14 years. Now he continued on after those 14 years, but that's what he was getting ready for. Moses had 80 years to get ready for 40. Now it's not always that way. Daniel had more years of service than he had preparation. John the Apostle had way more years of service than he had years in preparation. He died as the, one of the, uh, uh, old fathers of the, of the church. Don't be quick to leave preparation. Joseph kept preparing. Even though he may have been fully prepared, even though he may have been ready at any moment to step in and do what God needed him to do, he kept preparing. He kept waking up in the morning and going about the business that was at hand. When it was his father's house, he did his father's business. When it was in Potiphar's house, he did Potiphar's business. When it was in the prison, He did prison business. He'd wake up every day and he would do what needed to be done. And every day was preparation for him. Every day he's getting ready. And when the day finally came and he's brought before Pharaoh's presence, he is taken out of preparation and he's put immediately into some very important service. Don't discount preparation. 
Who knows how long your preparation will be? Who knows if your preparation is already over? I won't be able to answer those questions for you, but God can. Preparation is not bad. Preparation is good. But God's making you ready. He's making them ready. Father, I thank you for the preparation that you take us through. Whatever it is that you have called us to do, you are preparing us to get it done. Sometimes we've gotten sidetracked. We've dropped the preparation. We felt like, oh, it's been so long. This hasn't happened yet. And we forget to continue to go on and prepare. But help us to be as Joseph was. To be diligent. One who showed up every day. Ready to do what was in front of him. Even though what he was doing wasn't comparing to what the dream was. Every day. He got up and he prepared. It didn't seem like his life was going anywhere in the direction that it did. But he still prepared. He still got himself ready. Because he was not moved by the things that he saw. He was moved by the things that you told him. We thank you for the way that you lead us as well. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.